Hi there, it's Ross here from Football DNA and uh, thank you for joining uh, another podcast. And um, Today we're joined by Ludwig uh, Gunnarsson, that is, who is Head of Talent ID for the Icelandic FA, as well as working with the under-15s and under-19 national teams. Um, so today the, the topic really we're going to be looking at is Talent ID. Um, this will cover uh, a wide range of um, uh, different topics. Um, within it, but also for those that are working at grassroots as well as academy level, there'll hopefully be some uh, things that you can take away from today that will really prompt some thoughts. So, uh, Ludwig, welcome to uh, the podcast and thanks for, for joining us. Thank you for having me. Great stuff. So, just before we begin, really, I think it'd be really good for the listeners to get a little bit more of a uh, context into your background and your sort of working environment. So, I don't, I don't suppose you can just maybe shed a little bit around your experiences and now how you've ended up in the role that you've you've got into. Yeah, um, I'm uh, 41 years old, a uh, boy from uh, Akranes in Iceland. It's in the southwest part of Iceland, close to Reykjavik, which is the capital area. I'm married with two kids, uh, two boys and a girl. Uh, I started to be a math teacher uh, early on, but uh, after just two years of uh, teaching, I went to... Uh, as a head of a youth center. So I've been working with youngsters, kids and youngsters for 13 years, always uh, coaching alongside. Then uh, I started coaching when I was 24, when I was in uni actually in Reykjavik. Uh, my first job was with the under 15s and the under seven. So that was, uh, that was the start of it. I was also playing at the time, but uh, uh, due to injuries, I had to quit. Uh, then, uh, when I was coaching, it's a, it's a funny story, actually, when I was coaching the under seven, when I was a single coach for the group, I didn't have any assistance with uh, boys, you know, seven, six and even five years old. And there were about there were about 60 kids in the group. So it was uh, very demanding and uh, a good learning for me. A good school, you know, to be with uh, so many youngsters and uh, having all those rules. And if someone was naughty and doing stuff that he couldn't do then I had to have good ideas to make th things go on like it was supposed to uh, in 2006 I moved back to my hometown uh, then I you know started coaching at my local club IA uh, where I coached almost all age levels both boys and girls before I left uh, to the FA at uh, 2018 so now I'm, like you said, the uh, head of Talent ID, under-15s head coach and uh, under-19s uh, assistant coach. But at the FA of Iceland, we have, uh, as I said to you before, we have many hats, so we are helping each other a lot. So I've been assistant coach for the under-15s of girls. Uh, I've been assisting uh, uh, first-team women's who's going to the Euros in England next summer, so as a scout. Uh, so we are helping each other a lot, you know, in, in different areas. Uh, I got my U for B license in 2007 and U for A in 2013. And this summer I will get my pro license. Uh, uh, yeah. So that's my education. Brilliant. Uh, uh, yeah. What? Sorry, that's brilliant. I was just interested, you know, obviously you mentioned around the five, six, seven year old children you got when you first started and the, the 60, the 60 children. Um, it'd be really good just to get a little bit more of a, 
an understanding around um, obviously that environment. You know, traditionally in England, academy we have an academy system where, where children can move into an academy from from the age of under nine. It looks slightly different from what I understand um, out in Iceland. Could you just give us a little bit of an overview of how yeah. that happens? Yeah, here in Iceland, everyone can participate. Everyone can can train football that wants to be a, a part of it. So like uh, these youngsters, we can have 60, 70, uh, 80 kids, you know, playing. And now we have more coaches helping out. And the good thing about that, that we have educated coaches. I think it's one of our strengths here in Iceland that we have educated coaches with uh, all ages, you know, from the, the bottom up. So uh, that's that's totally different from what you probably know in England where we have these academies. We don't have any academies. So everyone is everyone is invited. Uh, they pay a certain amount of money and the municipality also pays an uh, amount uh, to help the parents. The parents can also work for the club, you know, to, to get the budget down and pay less. So, as I say, it's open for everybody. Uh, I think, and we sometimes say here in Iceland that we are we are top, top in grassroots, but we are lacking uh, this thing you have, the academies, and uh, maybe a little bit more professional environment when the kids get a bit older. Yeah, that's brilliant. And I think that that participation and giving access and opportunities to all is is fantastic because it's going to give hopefully um you all a a wide base of, of children that are participating not necessarily just in sport but also in in football both boys and girls and similarly it's brilliant that those children get the opportunity to enjoy playing football and enjoy playing those um, different sports so from that then, obviously you've now got this base of uh, plays to you, you pick from. I, I'm just intrigued to then know, okay, so how, what does talent look like to you? What, what, how would you define that within your role? Is there, is there a definition or how do you go around selecting those to then come into your, into your programme? This is, this is a million dollar question, Ross. <laughs> uh, what does talent look like? Uh, have you read the word? Uh, the book Bounce. I think it's uh, a brilliant one, and I think uh, all coaches should read that that one. When you see a player who has great abilities, like he said in the book, if he has great abilities, you don't know what's behind it. So it's difficult to see if it's talent or hard work. But normally, you know, when you have some ability, there is a lot of work behind it, uh, resilience, repetitions, and stuff like that, countless hours, I think. But, you know, to take it to the maximum, players need to have the right mindset. Uh, so I think mindset is also a part of, of being talented. Like some, some people say that talent can get you in the room, but you've heard of this, but uh, the mindset keeps you in there. I think that is totally correct. You know, we have a lot of players that are very talented, but don't reach the maximum of their ability. Mm. So talent to me is, you know, having obviously a potential, but then maybe for us coaches to still help them to reach where they are able to, where they should be able to. 
And I think, I think that is, uh, we sometimes ask the question, uh, are we missing out on talents? But I think sometimes we need to ask the question, uh, are we missing talents out? Mm. So we sometimes, you've probably seen it before because you've been, you've been a coach for a long time. You've seen a lot of talented players that didn't make it. And the reason behind it, what is it? It's not football. It's something other, other than football. So can we, you know, grab in at an early age and help them, you know, not just develop as footballers, but as persons as well, so they can maximize what they have at an early age, you know, keep doing it uh, to maybe go all the way. You know where yeah. I'm going? Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose the strength of your struct infrastructure enables those to really um, explore their potential and explore how they're going to use and develop their own skills and, and, and talent in, in this instance, um, just by being able to participate, you know, and, and they're not necessarily being a, a tier system too, too early. So when, when, do, when do you start to begin to um, sort of from that mass participation, when do you start to then become more selective on those that come into your, your training camps? And then is there a reason for, for those age groups and um, when you, we start to become more selective? We actually don't select, you know, uh, until the first team. You, right. can, you can come in and as a new football player in the under-19s in Iceland. It's, it's just like it is. So when you finish the under-19s, we, like one of the biggest clubs in Iceland, Breidablik, who has, has the most players, they have, I think, four or five or six teams in the under-19s. So when they finish their under-19s and go up to the first team, a lot of players quit the club or they go to some uh, lower league, league clubs. Mm. But... Uh, I think I would say that, you know, we're not being, everyone can play as long as they want up till under 19s, but we start to, you know, when there are six, seven and eight, everyone is playing each other. So we are not, you know, dividing them into groups of good players and bad players or less good players. So uh, we start that probably around uh, 10 or 11. Uh, And then those groups, you know, sometimes get mixed a little bit uh, through the years up until the under-19s, but we don't start the selection until, you know, when the players... Yeah, that's a brilliant thing, again, in terms of just being patient um, yeah. with with young people. And I think you you can sometimes find uh, coaches take on a team and, and then suddenly they're having to... They've got a small group of players that they can pick in for their squad... Um, and then suddenly, right, let's pick these these players and they're, they're you know, potentially perceived as the, the higher potential, higher performing kids that come in. And, and actually, sometimes those children that maybe don't have the skills there and then, they, they miss out on that selection process. So I think uh, doing it in a way in which you're giving children time to, to develop through some really key stages of their, their development that will enable them to hopefully go on to, to flourish. Yeah, I think, I think we have, you know, having this model that we have, it gives the player, like you're, you're saying, gives them opportunities to stay longer in the game within the club. 
And I think uh, that they are more capable of, you know, when they leave, if they leave, that when they leave, they, they, they keep on playing. Mm. I think what I've heard in England, I think you have a lot of good players that could play, for instance, in the Icelandic league easily, but they quit when they get cut. Am I right? I think there's the challenge nationwide at all levels. I don't think necessarily just at academy level. I think, as you alluded to, I think when children get to 16, 17, and they're then going into that transition from playing children's football into men's football, that tends to be a, a real difficult period because there's lots going on for those uh, those uh, young people in their in their lives and other things become are more important for some and similarly the selection process um, starts coming in because now suddenly you're looking to try and get into a first team and obviously that's that's can be really challenging depending on you know whatever level that you're you're in so I think you mentioned it at the beginning around in terms of that sort of resilience and that ability to deal with sort of setbacks and challenges mm -hmm. and actually that's probably the, the first real major time where uh, young people will really get tested because they might see some of their peers going on and playing up with with a men's team or progressing through and actually okay I'm not doing that at this point and then I've got a choice now do I keep keep going or or you know or do I look into into something different because what becomes more important in terms of like independence and the need to travel and time and all those sorts of things so I definitely think that that's probably a time where there is a bit more of a, a change, you know, um, because I suppose there's an element of realism of where, you know, maybe I'm not going to get to where I I want to get, um, but I've got to keep going. And if I look back at my own experience, that, that is exactly the same for me. You know, I've sort of got to 16, 17, still thinking, right, I'm going to go on and, and make it and then realise that probably wasn't the case. So I sort of tried to, to stay in the sport. Um, but yeah, I think it happens at all levels, not just at academy level. I think that's grassroots, you know, national team level, all levels really. It's a, it's a... That is why, Ross, I think, like I mentioned before, because uh, uh, nowadays I think kids, they are not, uh, we are not teaching them to uh, how to cope with adversity. We, we need to teach them that it's a good thing you know, we need to we need to talk to them that adversity is a is a an opportunity to challenge yourself. You know where I'm going. We need to tell them. Uh, we need to teach them the right mindset. We need to teach them that to have the growth mindset instead of fixed one. Uh, I think uh, if we can do that, if we can teach the right mindset, then then we probably can keep them a little bit longer. So we may have talent, which is maybe uh, a late developer, and he sees his friends, you know, going up, you know, the ranks, but he's still a little bit behind. He may be able, if he has the right mindset, he may be able to go there as well, but tends to drop out. So we are teaching football all the time. Mm. We're on the pitch teaching football all the time, but we need, I think we need also to teach the coaches, you know, how we uh, talk to the players on the pitch, how we, how we can uh, make challenges and adversity a good thing for the players to look at, not, not always a bad thing. 
and you teach it by 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 saying things you know not like praising them on effort and stuff like that and saying saying things like uh, you're not there at the moment which means you will be there you know where i'm going absolutely so it's a possibility for you to keep going even though it's tough at the time it's mm. tough for everyone at, at times yeah and you mentioned about um early and late um developers so I suppose for those listening in, I don't know if you can kind of just sort of summarize what that looks like to you and, and maybe how you approach that um, within your, your setup. Um, we, we, we don't have the, the x-rays. We don't do the x-rays. We don't have the money. Uh, the clubs don't have the, the possibility to do it. So uh, uh, it's a little bit just at the moment, I think coaches do it with their eyes. But at the FA, we do... Uh, we try to find the biological age by measuring seated height. So it gives us a, uh, a little glimpse of where they're at at the time. Uh, with, it's always the question with uh, a potential, a late developer, a potential, or, or someone who is doing good things, you know, at the moment, maybe premature. Uh, in the national teams, we always pick the best team at the time which means that we have potential players that we think they will, they will reach the top level, that they may not be selected because they're a little bit behind at the moment. But we cannot decide if, it, if that player is going to be better than the ones that are playing at the, at the moment. We don't know. And we can't say, I think he will be better one day. We need to play the best team each time. And unfortunately, sometimes, as you know, it's... It's um, a mix of players that is premature, you know, strong, fast. Because if we take the, the late developers and put them in, like I've done actually in a national team game, we will get crushed because the other teams are also, you know, big, strong, fast, and they will just walk over us. Uh, I try, we don't have the money to have two teams, but I try to have a one at least one camp with the under-15s where I pick smaller, weaker players. I don't know if they're all late developers, you know, I don't because you can also be small and an early developer, and you can also be tall and a late developer. So it's difficult at the time to know which is, you know, which one is, but I pick at least one group of uh, those small, technically gifted, with great mind, and uh, I... I bring them in, we play games, uh, I have lectures and I talk about this, this perseverance and, and uh, uh, resilience. I, I want them to keep going because we are watching them. We know where they can go. Now it's up to them to keep going, you know. Mm. Uh, that's one way for us to do it. Uh, at club level, I think, you know, it's, it's normally the strongest ones and the next and the next, you know. It doesn't depend. They're not thinking you know, about this uh, uh, premature or late developers. And that'd be interesting just as time goes on, um, maybe as resource grows and um, understanding grows, how you then go on to uh, approach that. And I just imagine there'll be coaches listening into this that will think, oh, I've got, you know, someone that's really underdeveloped um, physically or psychologically within my, within my group. Um, how do I best support them? And there's probably things that you can do in terms of, 
playing them across age groups, changing the formats. Um, and then, but then also there's an element of that's a really good way of also them developing that that ability to deal with adversity and that resilience too, because that could be a, in their journey, a, yeah. a period actually where they're going to have to dig in deep. And I think it's just, as long as coaches have uh, an understanding around it and um, uh, are aware of it, it will help them to then inform decisions on how they can best support those, those young people. I'm um, just yeah. going on to that then. A um, couple of things I wanted to just talk about was around that sort of footballing age, um, you, you mentioned obviously someone could come in really late, even at 18, 19, and maybe not have as much footballing age and actually go on and do really well. Um, do you do anything around looking at like their uh, footballing age and their chronological age? So in terms of like their year of where they are, month of birth, and, you know, is there anything that you do? Right, okay, well, actually, we've noticed uh, as, an, as, a, as a federation that, we tend to get lots of really early birthday boys or, or girls. How, how, how does that look for you? I think it's, I mean, it's pretty similar here in Iceland, you know. Uh, I think it when the players reach the, the first team where the gap is, you know, closing down, I think uh, the first part of it, the first six months, first four months are normally uh, high numbers in, in each team's. You know, like in Iceland, we have in, in the under-16, we have A, B, C teams or something like that. Yeah. And I think you would say normally the boys in the A team, which is, is the, like the first team for the under-16s, I think that, that, are, that are kids that are born, you know, uh, early in the year. But uh, as you may know, like here in Iceland, we have two age groups in each team. So in the under-16s, we have 15s and 16s. So it's, it can also be sometimes difficult for the guys, you know, who are on the younger year to get into the first, into the A team. Mm. So uh, being born earlier is, uh, I think it's like here, like everywhere, almost everywhere, similar. In the national teams, it's a bit similar. I don't actually look at the dates of birth. I try not to. Okay. Uh, uh, when I'm picking the boys, I try to, to pick them on what I see, uh, their abilities. I think it would, it would probably look similar, you know. But I think we're not, you know, uh, as a country with the clubs, the national team, I don't think we're looking too much at the date of birth, yeah. even though it's, you know, it can be important. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's just having that, I think that's quite an interesting way of looking at it. And I think, again, there'll be probably some listening to this and thinking, right, we we may look at creating additional provision for those that may be later birthdays or organising games where we give some of those younger age, sort of chronological age children, the opportunity to play with boys of a similar, a similar age. Um, so that, I think that's, again, a really interesting approach. I haven't thought about it, uh, looking at it that way. So um, really interesting. And just the last couple of things for me was around, um, so we, we mentioned around obviously plays going in and, as, it, as they get older in your system, they, um, you know, that, that, that sort of selection process starts to be happening probably more naturally at, at those older age groups. In terms of positional stuff then, you know, do you, when do you start looking at players and thinking, right, they're a right back, they're a centre back, they're a centre forward. When, when does that start, start taking place or is it aligned to actually we don't specialise too early with that? Uh, I sometimes, I, I think I can, you know, 
my opinion has been mixed, you know, through the years. Mm. Uh, one day, I've probably said we should start very early to help them, you know, in a specific position. But now, uh, I think it's very important for every player to have at least two positions growing up. Uh, I think uh, I say to a lot of coaches here in Iceland that we're having we're having problems creating uh, central defenders, and I think the reason is they're not challenged enough, you know, here in Iceland. In games, uh, it's too easy for them. They can get the ball from the goalkeeper. A lot, of, a lot of teams are not pressing, so they get the ball from the goalkeeper. They can turn. They can even turn, you know, uh, incorrectly, get the ball, have three, four touches, even turning the ball, bring it up a little bit. Nobody's pressing. And when they pass the ball to the midfielders, all the action begins. So for a central defender, the challenge isn't enough. Uh, for him to play in the midfield is very important, you know, to get to know how it is to be in tight spaces. You know, he has to look over his shoulder, how to open up the body, where to touch the ball and stuff like that. He has less reaction time. Uh, he, he, I think he can develop a lot better as a central midfielder than a central defender. So we, I try to encourage the coaches in Iceland to play them, uh, the central defenders, in different positions as well, not not just as a midfielder, but they can also play as, as wing, wing backs or full backs and stuff like that. Uh, the tendency is like when we think about it here in Iceland, most of our best central defenders started as midfielders. Mm. So I say to the coaches, we are we are ruining the chance of these players that we put in in the central defense and make them play there all the youth through all the youth teams. Mm. So. Is it our response? Is it your responsibility that he will not be a footballer? Are you ready to say that I'm I'm going to ruin his career by putting him there? So we need to have, in my opinion, today at least two positions to challenge the player differently. I think it's very important because you also have different coaches, you have different systems, and uh, uh, yeah, just to to challenge the player. That I think that's the most important thing. Yeah. Well, oh, sorry. How is it? You know, in England, is it is it like that? Do you put the players in a certain position at a certain age? Or yeah, I think that's a, it's a great point because I think it's um, obviously there'll be differences of uh, opinions on on that. Um, I don't think there's necessarily a set a set way. I think that's sort of bespoke on how coaches um, perceive how they want to work in their environment. I think. Um, there's definitely been more conversations in the younger age groups around children playing in, in different positions earlier on and giving them, you know, a real balance of playing, not specifying too early. Um, I think as we spoke about in terms of maturation and growth, you know, um, you know, children are going to develop at different rates. So there'll be times where they'll have certain attributes which may lend themselves to being more effective in certain positions then a couple of years later that may change so I think for me on a personal level I think giving children a real broad range of different experiences so when they become older and they've really matured physically that's when they can then start um, refining those tools around the positions that they're going to play so uh, yeah, again, I, I, I totally agree Ross we have we have uh, at least three examples I can take that when Bukayo Saka came into the Arsenal team I think he started as left back. So 
he, he was very young when he came into the team. And the tendency is when you put very young players into the team, you, you don't put them maybe in the central of defense or in the central of, of the park. That, that's the tendency here, I think, and many, many places. So Bukayo Saka was played in the, cent- the, the left back and now he's playing on the right wing and left wing and up front. Uh, when growing up, uh, Matt De Ligt, who plays for Juventus, uh, they saw him as a central defender, but they played him in the midfield constantly. And the coaches who was uh, coaching the team he was in, he, he wanted to win games. There was actually a good story on the web where, he, where they are telling about it. Uh, he wanted to win games, so he wanted to play him as a central defender to, to uh, increase the chances of winning. But the guy who was in control of his development, he said, no, he will, he will play in the central midfield to, to help him develop more, to be better on the ball. Uh, here in Iceland, we have one guy who, in the under-16s, he was a sub for his team as a left winger, I think. Now, I think it's four or five years later, he has been starting our A national team as a central defender. So in maybe five years from being a sub in the under-16s, he's playing as a first team starter as a central defender. So I think he benefited, you know, from playing up front, you know, and... uh, not being specialized, you know, as a central defender when he was younger. He didn't play any national team games, you know, when he was younger. He just came into the, to the first team hmm. this year or last year. So, yeah, I think, you know, when they get the maturity, like you said before, uh, we are better able to help them to find the right, right spots in the team. Yeah, brilliant. And last one for me then, um, I suppose, have you got any... Uh tips or or things that you can leave for those that are listening in that are you know working at it could be at any level really but are in a position where they're having to uh, work with young people and and ensuring that we don't miss out on giving talent the opportunity to to flourish have you got anything that you can uh, leave them with to to conclude yeah i think uh, i think it's very important that we think about that we are there to help them to, to, we are not, we are there for them. So we need to think that we, we have to maximize what we can give them. We have to uh, encourage them. We have to give them uh, self-confidence in the way we talk in the way we support them. Uh, in my opinion, that's the most important thing. It gives you, uh, I think when a kid gets a good word from the coach, it gives them a lot more than we we can imagine. So teaching them, uh, you know, the positivity of, you know, uh, adversity, that's okay. Teaching them all the things. It gives them weapons uh, which they can take out not only in football but uh, in life as well. Uh, we don't want to define them as football footballers because they are a person as well. So for grassroots, I think... I think this is the best advice I can have, I can give for the coaches, you know, be there for the players to help them uh, grow both as players and persons. Brilliant. That's great. I think a really interesting insight into how you're approaching it. Obviously, 
um, Iceland in, in recent years have uh, have been very successful as a as a nation. Uh, that hurts me as a as an Englishman, obviously from a from a recent uh, competition that we uh, we played against each other in. But um, I think it's a really unique um, uh, situation that you've got in terms of your population and uh, you know just how the 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 country set up. I think there's some some fantastic messages in there around particularly around the mindset. Um, particularly around participation and making sure you give opportunities for all um, and, and actually that you know there isn't a, a timeline or an exact timeline or a way of mapping out opportunities you know I think it's there for coaches to really just be patient and give everything that they can for every individual to go on and, and do well so um, yeah. no, really interesting I really appreciate you um, giving up your your time and um, I definitely would encourage anyone that's listening in to uh, to certainly look into the successes that that you're having, and uh, hopefully that that continues as we uh, we move forward. Yeah, thanks, Ross. It's been a pleasure. Pleasure Brilliant. to be with you today. Thank you. Thanks.